I'm Maxwell Griffin, and this is Your Black Friend, a podcast for folks who may not have black friends but want to learn about what it means to be black in the U.S. Every episode, I'll invite one of my black friends on, and we'll answer anonymous questions people have about being black. So if you don't have a black friend, then my black friend is now your black friend. Your black friend today is an incredibly talented artist and old neighbor from around the block, Spencer Wyatt. I first met Spencer years ago in Portland. You could spot this cat from a mile away rocking the freshest tie-dye shirts I've ever seen. Custom-made, might I add. Not only is he an overall amazing human being, but you are guaranteed to feel the positive energy anytime he steps into the room. Coming from the good old Midwest of Canton, Ohio, Spencer fell in love with art and design. This then led him to his passion for color design, where he continues to climb the ranks and earn respect in the world of product design. Spencer is surviving and thriving as a black designer in corporate America, where he's a creative director specializing in color, materials, and graphics. He's a proud father to an amazing daughter, and I'm always inspired by the path he continues to pave for himself and just the gratitude he brings into the world. With all that being said, let's welcome Spencer. It is so exciting to have you on. I'm pumped for this conversation. Me too. How are you doing? Man, this is a, I feel like I'm leveling out finally. Uh, I think probably six months to a year ago, I was a different person. I think my anxiety was at a new high. Uh, the world was just crashing all around us and, uh, you know, me and you and me at the the corporate situation we were in it, it it added to the fire so i'm in a better place so you're actually you're finding a routine or some some uh yeah i cool. think so i'm actually plusing and minusing i'm minusing like stuff i i don't need and adding things that i like and uh that add character so i feel you and i it's i feel like this past year has been especially getting rid of negative energy. I mean, we we don't got time for that anymore. But let's let's get into some of these questions and I again, these are anonymous questions that were submitted submitted by white folks to mm-hmm. so we can just have an open conversation about this. So I love it. And it's again, and honestly it's been a beautiful thing in in the conversations that have stemmed because I can talk about my black experience all day, but it's even it's it's even more enjoyable and powerful learning about my other black friends and for everyone to know that every we share themes but not every black person's experience is the same um so this first question is uh at what point in your life did you get comfortable talking about race yeah i think it also that moment aligned with being surrounded by other people that look like me who are willing to talk about it uh because that's the starting point, talking amongst yourselves mm-hmm. before you can talk in public. So uh, oddly enough, when I was in high school, I had probably like, I grew up in the only black neighborhood in my my city for the most part. And uh, that alone was proof that like black people were supposed to stay in one place, you know? And it didn't seem crazy when you're raised in that, pl- that, that type of, you know, environment you just assume it's just that's how life is yep um but then you know you go to school you go to like parties and you just start to realize that the world is bigger than just your neighborhood 
just like everybody. But um, there was those moments where you, you get out, you go to the mall and you come back to your neighborhood. And then I talk with the homies and we're like, yo, this, that, you know, this makes me feel this certain way. Or I felt people looking at me this way. And like, yep. <laughs> those type of dialogues were the beginning, but I wouldn't say it was comfortable. I was comfortable with actually speaking with white people about the issues related to the treatment of our culture um, until probably I was a grown, a human, like a, a, like a grown man, probably in my like late twenties, early thirties. And to this day, it's still like uncomfortable, but I feel much more confident speaking to it. Cause I got a point of view, you know, I think when you're too young, you can be mistreated and you just expect that's how life is versus being old enough to like put your foot down and say, no, nah, this, this ain't happening. So exactly. When I feel like I've always been comfortable talking to my black friends or, or friends of color about race. And again, that to your point, I think it's, it wasn't until recently where I felt more comfortable talking to any and every, everybody about right, race. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and not only that, I think, I've also discovered the value in just talking about my feelings. I mean, just mm. in a in the general sense, because I, I I have learned that it's just not healthy containing your feelings, especially feelings that other people should know about as well. So I think in the general sense, I think it's it's been amazing to <laughs> discover the continued importance of just expressing your feelings. Right. I mean, within black culture, as a as a black male, that's that wasn't encouraged by any means. You know, like it almost felt risque talking about your emotions to a friend uh, in the sacred space of wherever. You know, exactly. And, and that's not. I don't feel like that's the same thing for some of my other white friends growing up. You know, I feel like they were, if, if anything, hyper emotional, and they, they, even the music they listened to. Uh, there's um. Uh, this quote from Smashing Pumpkins. I never really got into Smashing Pumpkins, but I remember some of the like big name songs. And one of the songs is like, despite all my rage, I've, I'm still just a rat in a cage. And I'm like, yo, that you had young white kids saying this and like that, they were able to speak that truth, you know, on a Tuesday. Whereas like I had to keep, I just felt like I had to keep my head down, you know, whether that was in sports, whether I was in school, it's like, yo, don't don't please don't show your weaknesses. Exactly. You know, that's that's going to show you the door real quick versus, you know, empowering yourself to like fight through the pain and all that stuff. So, yeah, well, and that's the thing where it's you're actually strong for expressing your feelings uh, verbally, especially to be honest, I my family didn't really talk about feelings in a deeper sense uh, when I was growing up. So like, that's, again, something I learned more recently where it's like <laughs> feelings aren't meant to be right or wrong. I mean, feelings are just meant to be heard or acknowledged at the very least. Right. Right. Yeah. It's not something you, you can go to the hospital and get something for your emotions. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I even think even the way I dialogue with my, 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 well, mostly my dad um, to this day is still very like, don't tell me all the facts, you know, like, and that that's unfortunate, and that's not like a slight against him. It's just more or less the relationship, you know, the the father son relationship in black most black families. Uh, I would imagine it's very similar to that. 
Yeah, I, it's like I'm at a point where I'm done. I'm done holding my feelings in just to make other people people feel comfortable. Because there's there's times where it's like, yeah, do I really want to say this? Because this is how I'm feeling. But it's like, no, nah, I I mean, I gotta say it. Oh, totally. And that doesn't have to be like you know someone spouting off racist comments. It's like if if you just we just have a, the, one of those days which we all do have. Um, and I found the older I get, it becomes a physical entity or uh, stress affects me physically. So if, I, if I'm not speaking my truth and I'm not talking on a regular basis and stress compounds, I, my back will go out or like uh, my neck will have like the, like the spasm or something that like, or my eye will have a twitch, you know, like those physical things I think come from not having the, the outlet or not having the, the time or energy to really express yourself. Oh, exactly. And then my, my whole day's thrown off and if especially if something's on my mind and then it keeps adding to it, it's just like, no, that's like you said, it's it's not it's not worth it for your well being. And then on the flip side, it's like I think there's this um again, like back to my point of it shouldn't feeling shouldn't be right or wrong where it's like that's the importance especially now for for people to just be open to listen to experiences and feelings and not try to go toward solution mode right away like how can i help you right now or it's just like sometimes people just need to talk and get it off their chest yo that's the one man you hit it on the head and i think you know covid era you know like it's hard to like have a Zoom conversation sometimes about, you know, as as naturally as it used to be about sitting on a bar stool next to the homie and like just yep. downloading, you know, and you know I, we've done everybody's done digital happy hours, but it just it's not the same as being with another human and just being like, yo, I'm outside of the house. I got <laughs> exactly. You know, just get it off <laughs> because it feels good, doesn't it? Just like. <laughs> Just getting off and having oh, yeah. someone genuinely listening. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, I think some of my favorite times being in public was like having dialogues on a train in New York with a stranger. And that, like, you know, that's not uh, um, New York. New York's known for like being very cold and people not wanting to dialogue with people they don't know. But like that's I didn't have that experience, you know, not like to jump on a train and just like I want to talk to a stranger. But you know, when you're having like a moment or you like lock eyes and there's a uh, an acknowledgement, like a handshake without saying something, like those moments are pure. And uh, I genuinely miss those those uh, opportunities. Well, and that's the I was just talking to someone the other day where it's like that's the beauty of an unspoken community. And specifically, I'm talking about being black where you could just not know someone and then you make eye contact, you have that connection, give the little nod, and you're like, we're on the same page, we're in this together. Like, there's that community that's unspoken, Man. which I love. I I never felt so much part of a, a secret society until I, I lived up in Vancouver, B.C., and that place is, I got nothing but positives, but, like, uh, there's mm -hmm. not a lot of black people. Um, and when I did see black people, specifically when I, like, came back to the States and I saw black people I didn't even know, my wife got uncomfortable because I would just like come out of my skin and just like try to like almost, you know, emotionally connect with anybody wanting to make eye contact <laughs> that looked like me. You know, <laughs> she's like, yo, you got to dial that down. I'm like, I don't, exactly. it's a natural reaction. <laughs> really? It's you know? exact. That's exactly right. It's a natural <laughs> reaction. I don't, 
again, I don't think too hard about making these interactions with other black people when I'm out on a run or on a walk. And it's funny because I mm-hmm. sometimes I'll be out on a run, like really pushing myself, like super sweaty. And there's just like another some another black person just come in casually just on a stroll. And I'm just like making a point to be like, hey, <laughs> we're, we're both out here. Yep. I mean, if anything, I, if if I'm walking and someone's sprinting in that situation, especially a person of color, like if anything, it it gives me lightning in my veins. I'm like, yo, I should be. I'm out here walking. You know, people out here working. You know? Oh, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, that, that, the secret society. I love that. I don't think I've heard it used that way, but that is totally how I feel too. I mean, you can't even dialogue the fact that like. I could meet somebody who was born in, you know, in the Bay and I'm from Ohio. So like, why would we, you know, pre-COVID, especially germs and all that, whatever, but like be able to meet someone and and go through a handshake and it feels like just as natural as me, you know, meeting somebody in my hometown. And that's, that's a, exactly that's remarkable. I love that. All right. So let's, so this next one. So thinking thinking about babies and toddlers and being compared to a monkey, I'm unclear if this is because my toddler is white or if these same references in a non-explicitly derogatory way are used with black babies. For instance, calling him a chunky mm. monkey or a little monkey when he climbs on things. Monkey clothes, like someone gave him a hoodie with monkey ears with a banana in the pocket. Like, are these things only said and done to white babies? Are any of these... In the some people find these very offensive, others don't care camp, or so better to err on the side of not? Or are these in the no, don't ever do or say that camp? Whew. Yo, I, that's a big one. Uh, I think it was H&M went through that big lawsuit with the, the campaign with the little black child with the, the, the monkey statement on his shirt, and it just it created a firework. Um, I mean, having a child, I I know for a fact that like I embrace what she's into. So if she wants to look like an animal, we'll we'll listen to it. But you know, I don't go out of my way to make her look like an animal. You know, and especially being a a young person of color, like that's we're running mm-hmm. away from those those uh, orientations. That, um, but it's trick. I mean, the the banana in the pocket and the the ears on. Yeah, I don't know. You're setting yourself up for failure. Um, and that that window of time, if a kid wants to be an animal, that's for 15 seconds. That's not like I want to be a monkey. You know, I want to be a 20 year old monkey. Like, if that's the psychosis, you, I mean, maybe that's another another dialogue. But um, I I don't know if it's. It definitely started with with white people, you know, blanket stating uh, black culture. Yeah, and I mean, for me personally, the word monkey always naturally makes me give it a second thought and not so much that it's the word is triggering, but I've just, I've had it used against me in a negative way uh, in the past. I mean, so totally. if someone's saying regarding a white baby, look at that baby climb on the couch looking like a monkey, it doesn't really get under my skin because I know the intention isn't hurtful, but it's just one of those things where I think about that word in a, in a different way. And every time I hear that word, it just gives a double meaning each time. Because I mean, 
in the world of soccer in Europe, you got people throwing bananas on the field at, at black soccer players. And it's just like, it's when you have a word that's used, that has been used against you in a in the wrong way, it, it kind of changes, for me personally, it changes the meaning of that, not the meaning, but it changes how I hear that word each time, even if it's in mm-hmm. uh, unintentional or or even in a positive way. It's just like, eh, I just listen to it, I hear it different. And that even goes with with the word black, to be honest. Like, even when someone's like, mm-hmm. oh, can you, like, talking about, oh, no, I don't like uh, the black marker for this, let's use the red one. And it's like, I know there's no... They're not meaning anything by that, but just how, like, every time I hear the word black, I'm just, it, it, it's, again, it's one of those double meaning words for me because I've had to use black used against me in a negative way before. So it's just like, for me personally, like, totally. those kind of words that, that can be used wrongfully, just, I don't know. I have, like, a, again, a double, double meaning for them. Without a doubt. Uh, to your example with the the couch thing, I'm with you. I, I don't. It doesn't trigger anything, but like uh, when we step back and we examine where all these origins come from, you're forced to rethink some things. Uh, I, I've had uh, many uncomfortable professional workplace uh, faux pas. You know, just I wouldn't even call them happen. I would talk about them just as like freight trains that come out of nowhere on a Thursday, you know, like they just, where people are just, you know, beautiful day outside. And then someone decides to like, just throw some obviously dated ways of thinking into the conversation. Uh, I've had a coworker use the term nigglet in my, my presence, which set me on fire for months. And he was talking about a story that, oh my goodness, we had a dinner party in Germany at a, at a coworker's house. My coworker is a very German individual, white male, and he had a cotton plant in his house. I've never seen anyone have a cotton plant as a, I've just never seen it. It just, it doesn't, it's not a, a, a interior design celebrated element. You know what I mean? So this dude's sitting beside me at, at dinner after, after we're done eating and we had a couple drinks and I'm sitting and he's sitting like leaning in towards me and petting the cotton plant. And I'm like, I can't tell you on paper that this is wrong, but I can tell you it makes me feel so dirty. Like, I feel like I am the joke of every single white person in the world at this moment. Um, And I couldn't explain it to him. I couldn't explain it to any of the coworkers. Were you the only black black person in the Um, room? Yes. Only black person, probably for miles, to be honest. Um, That that was uncomfortable to put to, to make it even more uncomfortable on the plane ride back to the U.S., I'm I'm sitting with a coworker who I'd probably known for three to four years at that point, and I told him about how uncomfortable I was in that story, in that situation. His response was to tell me, and this is another white male. He had the nerve to to think that I was opening up to him to the point where this was like, oh, we're we're bros, we're buddies. He was talking about how he took, he used to live in the South. He took some kids on a field trip and all the black kids were picking cotton and they took a picture and it ended up in a newsletter. And he was like, Oh man, I got some flack for that. And he's like, it looked like a bunch of nigglets uh, picking. What? Cotton. I was like, bro, you didn't, you didn't call me a nigger. Like, like I, I know that I, I know there, there's things that didn't happen, but I felt like 
the blanket statement of wrongness hit me like a freight train. And I had to sit on an airplane for 14 hours, whatever ridiculous amount of time, just stewing. Like I couldn't even get out of my own head. Uh, movies couldn't medicate me. Uh, alcohol, like nothing could to could get erase this like issue out of my my brain. And it, this is a work environment. It ruined me for the for the rest for another almost a year. I had, I was like I, I didn't have a therapist. I, sh- I mm-hmm. should talk to somebody. You know what I mean? Um, and it just is lightning bolts in my brain every time I saw that person or I heard people like use use terms about children. I'm like, yo, I got a black little black black baby. If anyone referred to my little black baby as a nigglet, it's going to be an issue. It just made me realize that that stuff is alive and well. That people have that vocabulary. I'm not going to say homie's racist. I'm not going to say he like came at me with the intention of like taking me down a notch. But I'm I'm venting. I'm telling someone how uncomfortable I am about a, a situation that was closely related to race, and that's your comeback. Shocking, but not surprising because that that mess is out there, still out there. Yeah, and to be honest, like I I tried to like have so many woo-saw moments with people of color and try to understand what they would have done in that situation. You know, like I know me swinging on a coworker in an airport is there's so many red flags about that's not going to end well. Nothing about that's going to end well. Um, We're no longer in a schoolyard where like you can throw a stone at somebody and like just get detention and it's over. It's like the anger that I had from that specific moment translated into paralysis for the next couple of months. I couldn't talk to people the same. I couldn't like interact with people I loved to, to like see every day. And that it's again, I'm not going to say that was homie's intention, but it, it, it is something different. Well, some of that stuff happens so fast in the moment that's like in and out and you don't really, especially me being black and like being the only black person in certain situations I only think about that joint after I leave and then I'm like, wait, did that just happen? Because it happened so fast where it's like in the moment, it's sometimes it's hard to react right away to those kind of things because they just happen so fast. So, I mean, was that was that something when you got back home? You're like, damn, I should have said this or I should have said something. Oh, seconds after. And the, the crazy thing is, this is a long winded person who said this. So he didn't stop talking after he dropped that bomb. I have no, I blacked out. I have no idea what he said for the rest. He could have been like, I love black people. I love black people. I love black people. I love black people. I, that wouldn't have made the situation any better, you know? So those moments still happen every day, you know, to be honest. I've, I've had to, you know, have uncomfortable sit downs professionally with this person and like dialogues and then go back to work and like try to work with the person. Just stuff like that is, there's no textbook response, you know, like HR is probably HR's response would be probably from a white mm-hmm. corporate lens, you know, like, first of all, you obviously, especially the place we were working at, doesn't understand black culture. And the response from a HR group that has blatantly understood that they don't understand is going to be something that's going to set me on fire anyway. So it's, un- yeah, dude, there's unfortunately no no limit to the to the echoes in my head from that moment it just sent a ripple effect 
And it's so weird because I, I've been part of dumb bar conversations that like in one ear and out the, the other. But something about that one just stuck. It's, it's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, there's certain situations where I, I tell this to somebody after the fact, like, why, well, why didn't you say anything? And again, it's to my point where it's like, it just happened so fast and then it kept going on. And it's, you're st- like you said, you're paralyzing. You're just stunned by what just happened. And then you already moved on to X, Y, and Z in the conversation in the day. And it's like, these things. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, even you, oh, working in basketball for a second uh, in design, like the term, I'm just going to, I hate this term. It it melts me from the inside out and it gives people empowerment to feel like, but the term wigger. I'm talking about, I work in a, I was working in a category uh, when if there was a white person that was dominant in basketball, that's a pretty rare thing. And those people are instantly baptized. The generalizations and like the, just the the, the putting into buckets that people feel like they have the empowerment to like, first of all, use a white version of a derogatory term about black culture or black people. There's just so many layers to that. And that term came up so many times in a professional setting. And they're like, oh, well, you're not saying the word. And there, no one ever used that term with the A on the end of it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's just such such a dirty, dirty term. And that was used in, in the work, workplace? Multiple times. I think basketball, by far, is the most connected to ba- black culture of most sports. Um, and the stereotypes and, like, the, the connectivity – should never be generalized, especially on a on a dark side. You know, like you, you, basketball is one of those sports you need to like celebrate the the connections between hip hop culture and like style and performance and like all these like there's so many more positives than negatives. I feel like I first heard that when like Eminem was on the block, like in the OG days, and that term was coined with him a lot. Um, and I think again, just. People pick this up and then it just, (laughs) and it just spirals. It's so horrible. I wish there was a moment, like thinking about back in the day, Eminem as a great example, that dude used to wear do-rags, you know, like, and rather than people acknowledging it as a beautiful thing or something that is unique for a white person to be wearing these things, to go to that other side and, and start slandering homie. You know, even though he's being celebrated by Dr. Dre, one of the most, you know, elevated members of hip hop at that point. Um, and that's not enough to to avoid those type of like horrible, you know, name calling situations. But. <laughs> Man, crazy stories. I mean, that's the thing. There are stories for days on on all of these all these topics. But, yeah, I really liked that that question because. Yeah, people calling. You gonna you gonna catch me calling my kid Chunky Monkey or Monkey? Heck no. <laughs> nah, nope, not even close. Not I got so many names for my daughter, and none of them have Monkey involved. Like it's just something that's a natural. Uh, it's a natural yep. reaction. Not gonna happen. Exactly. Well, damn. This is 
again, I always, I always love our conversations. What can people do to go out in the world today to be like, to take away from this conversation? I mean, some people always want to know like what to say. And I think the most important thing is what not to say. Uh, it's not about, you know, giving people a toolbox or a, a, a pamphlet of how to treat black people or treat people that don't look like them, you know, it's more or less a general understanding of how to talk to people. I think black people are beautiful people. I, I don't think there's a specific way to talk to us or we need to hear certain words, but I think unfortunately history has been working against us for so long that I think it comes down to just people being like smart or, or not even smart, just being like having couth, having like some type of backbone that's not based on just like oppression and uh, this hierarchy that culture is somehow created. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if the, the takeaway is like what to say. I think it's more or less like how, just treat people nice. Treat people like you want to be treated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not a I'm not a college professor, but I'll tell you what, I, I have I have uh, thoughts that I can share with anyone that has like just these preconceived notions about what certain people think or want or eat or listen to and all that stuff. Like it just the preconceived notions in general just get us to a really yeah. bad place. And yeah, and I and I and I also do support the curiosity which is like one of the main reasons why i'm i created this this podcast because i do think i mean i'm at a place where i'm comfortable with my thoughts and feeling more comfortable talking about my feelings so it's just like i i do i do enjoy when white people come to me and ask me like how i'm, feel, how I'm feeling in a certain moment or i'm happy to talk about that so it's just like i don't i don't want there to continue to be oh i'm too uncomfortable to ask if I'm curious. That's the point of this is for everyone to just be comfortable and and be comfortable and come at it at, from a genuine place. I, I do love, I love that comfortable word, but I also love the reality that we're, we have to have all the facts on the table. And a lot of those facts are going to make us uncomfortable. And without those facts, there's no progress. And I, I have flashbacks. The older I get, I go back to these, rather than going back to the glory days, I go back to like history class and I think about the teachers who, you know, high five me on the way out of class and like have a good game this weekend. You know, like you're doing something for us, but like you weren't giving me the actual facts. The history classes that I, we're celebrating George Washington and Christopher Columbus, all these people I don't know. If to if they were alive today, if we would be like <laughs> right. them and be like, "Yo, you did a great job, man." Well, yeah. Let's take let's pause right there. Imagine Christopher Columbus if he were alive today, like giving the spiel to the class, like, "This is what I'm doing. This is what I did to people," and then is like, "I right, that's the end of my lesson. Can I get a high five? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, not today. No high five for me today. Oh man, <laughs> nothing, nothing. Yeah." I still to this day, I mean, if you, the, the reservations of all these, these uh, First Nation tribes and all these people who were given land after the fact, those places tend to be really sad. Like there's just, 
it was a blatant acknowledgement of mistreatment, you know, like, so we're going to give you this land, just stay on these places. You know, unfortunately, black people weren't given that, but we got ghettos and like Section 8 housing and all these like bubbles. But um, there's just blatant issues that need to be out on the table. We can all talk about it once it's out on the table. The issue is when it's not brought to light and people want to stand up on a soapbox and and preach the gospel without having the, the actual facts. Because without those facts, you got a lot of holes like, <laughs> poked in your in your, your your sermon. But like, there's just so much about the world without the facts. It, it, I don't believe comfort is welcomed. You know, I think until it's an, it's unfortunate. You know, I don't want people to be raised with this like stereotype that they they shouldn't be able to talk about culture or, or how they feel about being treated certain ways but you know on the same note like I know for a fact my grandparents the reason why I look the way I look there's there's a reason for that there there's like all these little dark caveats to black black families that like we weren't able to talk about and culture didn't acknowledge it like my mom my mom's mom was light skin and was able to like convince someone that she was white to get her first house. Um, that That's a real thing. That was a person that I met in my life that, that makes it too close and too recent to, to make it okay to like, just keep it all moving. Let's, let's, let's yeah. the next song coming on. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not, we're not there. We got to like, we got to be uncomfortable for a little minute. Damn. Well, Spencer, I always feel the positive energy when we're when we're talking. So this is this has been fun, um, <laughs> and again, I, I always enjoy your storytelling because I don't know if you know it or not, but you you're an impactful and powerful storyteller. Like your oral storytelling is is phenomenal. So it always inspires me. So this I appreciate this conversation. That's awesome. I appreciate it. And that. I gotta give a shout out. I'm rocking your tie-dye. So anyone, this is this is a quick side note. <laughs> Spencer makes the freshest tie-dye. And it's like to the point where it's like, oh tie-dye, it's a little it's a little art fun activity. Like, no, this is this is legit art and craft that this man introduces to this uh, to tie-dye and you see it in a whole nother way so i'm rocking my tie-dye it's appropriate for for this conversation so i appreciate that that's beautiful that makes that you just made my day with just that <laughs> acknowledgement bro like <laughs> uh, well thanks for joining today beautiful no i appreciate you for taking the time man our dialogues are always meaningful and always potent I'm your host, Maxwell Griffin. Our development producer is Priscilla Alibi. Our producer is Teddy Grant. Please join us next time.